You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch. I'm actually recording from home this week, and while I may not be in my studio, I feel so very grateful to be able to continue to connect with all of you. And uh, I'm hoping that tonight's show might give you some comfort in this uh, unusual time we're all living in, and perhaps answer some of your questions around how to best be well amid all of this uncertainty. We are so fortunate to have with us this evening Deborah D'Archangelo, who is the CEO of the Council for Relationships, which was founded 85 years ago to help individuals, couples, and families in need of emotional guidance and therapy. So it, it couldn't be a better time to have a guest like this. If you're new to the show, be sure to stay with us during the breaks, where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of on-air contributors. They bring their own expertise and inspiration in the fields of health, finance, technology, business, and leadership. And as always, you can visit us at womentowatch.net for all things related to the show. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. So now I'm thrilled to welcome to the show Deborah D. Archangelo, again, the CEO of Council for Relationships. Deb, thank you for joining me. Oh, I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you for having me, Susan. And may I call you Deb? Absolutely. Or do you prefer Deborah? Uh, Deb, actually. Okay, very good. Um, so I, you know, I, as I said at the opening, I'm, I think it's a great time to have someone like you on the show. And we're certainly going to talk about 
uh, current events, what's taking place around the world and, and why everyone's feeling a little bit on edge these days. And hopefully you can enlighten us a little bit um, around how to best cope with that. But as always, I want to start with your beginning and, and have the listeners understand a little bit about where you came from. And so I wonder if you could just talk for a few minutes about your upbringing in Massachusetts. Uh, I understand you were the youngest of four. And while your mom and dad did not go to college, they uh, always wanted all of you to have the best education you could. Tell us a little bit about that. So, yes, I was the youngest of four. And um, my uh, I should say that um, my dad was in the military for 20 years. And I um, tell people this sometimes so that they understand that I'm a rule follower and somewhat of a perfectionist. Uh, and he's 90 years old and still works 40 hours a week fixing canceling machines for the post office. And so in many ways, he's where my siblings and I got our drive from, our, our work ethic. Um, wow. And my mom was the most amazing person. Uh, she stayed at home and raised us and was always thinking about opportunities for us. I have, I'm the youngest of four. I have a sister 10 years older than me, one seven years older than me, and a brother a year and a half older than me. And my mother um, would say, even though she didn't have a college education, nor did my father, um, these Ivy League schools have lots of scholarships. Why not try to get one? Um, and then with my brother and I, we were younger, and she had learned about the private boarding schools. And she said, they have scholarship, too. Right? Why, not, um, why not apply? And so um, my siblings and I ended up going to um, fabulous schools. Um, my brother and I both went to um, really good uh, secondary schools. And um, we had these great opportunities. And um, it was just really interesting being the youngest of four because the, um, the two older sisters were, were very high achieving and accomplished. And uh, my brother, you know, came along next. And I think he thought, with, well, with these high achieving girls, these high achieving sisters, like, I want to do well. And so he, he, uh, he worked very hard. And then I came along and I was the fourth. And so there was no question that I was going to be working very hard because that was just our, our culture and our, our, in our family. Um, so, you know, my parents, neither of my parents went to college, as I said, uh, but they really knew the value of education. And so with the scholarships, they had to pay a large percentage of their income for us to go to these great schools. They never went on a vacation. They really rarely ate out. Um, they gave up a lot for us. And so, you know, that instilled a lot in me of, you know, just um, thinking about other people and, and sacrificing um, uh, in ways that can help other people as well. Um, I guess also they got a lot of joy out of making their sacrifices for us, which uh, as I do work to help other people, um, I get a lot of joy out of as well. So, um, but it was, you know, it was great growing up. Um, my relationship with them was really wonderful. You know, I was the youngest and each of them were the youngest of four siblings. Um, so we had that in common. So um, it was, you know, it was just a, a great experience uh, growing up um, in our family. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes when the baby comes along, especially after, you know, two or three ahead, um, things lighten up on the youngest. <laughs> but that doesn't seem to be the case. Well, I think also I think that, um, you know, I say that I'm a rule follower, but all, often the youngest is a little bit of a rebel, too. So I've achieved in a lot of ways, but I also kind of do sometimes I do things on my own terms and in my own way. Um, so 
So I think it, it kind of works, but definitely the, uh, I think that the, um, my older sisters would say that the younger two got off uh, much easier than they did. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. With the rules, right? Mom and dad are always a little That's bit right. more lenient fourth time around. That's right. Yeah. You know, Deb, you mentioned um, boarding school and uh, you went to the Phillips Exeter Academy. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, that is not a typical um, educational experience for many young people. And I wanted to know, you had mentioned um, previously to me that it was a place that really taught you independence. And I'm wondering if you can talk about what it was exactly. Was it being away from home? Um, obviously, you know, that's something that is different than uh, being that age and being coming home every day after school. Yeah, um, it was it was I mean, I, I think that there are three big things that I learned from it. The independence, the sense of community and, you know, just the sense of having a great opportunity. Um, and the independence part was that it, it was like college. Um, I had to set my own structure to be sure that I got to class and to my scholarship job and get all my homework done, and I had um, such freedom to spend time with friends and kind of how I wanted uh, once I was done with all of my requirements. Um, but I think the most important thing that I learned at Exeter was about community and how um, we all give to our community. I served on a lot of organizations um, and how much we get back from our community. And I really kind of loved walking around campus and knowing everybody, the students, the faculty, the staff members, and saying hello um, and community continues to be one of the most important things in my life. Um, so I see my years at Exeter as being really formative that way. Um, and then one more thing is, uh, as I've been thinking about this, is um, learning um, from being at Exeter what a great opportunity I had to get a great education with my scholarship. And it made me realize that opportunities have a real impact on a person's life and that everyone should um, have great opportunities. And that is kind of the root of my passion for social justice and, and racial justice. You know, I, I read that the student to teacher ratio there was five to one. And, and that's incredible. Was there one teacher in particular that perhaps was a mentor for you that really had an impact on you? Well, I would not want to name one teacher. Um, there are kind of too many to say, and um, I have a hard time whenever I need to pick one person out of many. And so I say to the staff at Council for Relationships um, that that's why I had one child, because I always wanted to be fair and not have a favorite. Um, and so you can achieve those things when you have only one child. Yeah. Uh, listen, we're going to go into our first break. If you're just tuning in, I'm speaking with Deb D'Archangelo, the CEO of Council for Relationships. Stay with us for our Tech Watch from Mary. We'll be right back. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso from Pathways Consulting Group. 
Working from home can be a challenge right now, and it can seem like the most complicated juggling act you've had to perform in a while, especially if there's more than one of you in your household who's working from home, and if you have children that are home from school and daycare. So I thought I'd share some tips and tricks and advice. The most important thing is to ensure that everyone in your household is on the same page as you. Don't assume that because you're home, they understand what that means. A meeting of the minds is really important to establish boundaries. Family meetings at dinner time could really help. Each and every morning, get up as though you're going to work. Get cleaned up and dressed before you start your day. At Pathways, we invested a long time ago in Zoom, and now we're all working from home. So I'm encouraging all of our team members to use video conferencing throughout the day to conduct their meetings. This gives us not only the ability to stay connected, but also to ensure that we're all staying in good spirits. Video conferencing is equally important to conduct with clients. It really makes a big difference. With children home from school, it may be hard to conduct meetings. So maybe you can set up some virtual play dates with friends or grandparents or relatives at those times. This not only helps you, but also helps your child to feel connected. If there's another adult in the house that's working from home too, coordinate your calendars so that you can share the load. I know it's not always easy to establish a quiet place for calls with clients, but it's important to do so. So eliminate distractions by setting up some physical boundaries. Places where the people in your house know that when you're in that space, it means they can't interrupt you. Most of the individuals on our teams are adopting these tips and tricks, and I'm really proud of how well our teams are acclimating and not missing a beat. You can find more information on tips and tricks for working at home at pcmag.com and goodhousekeeping.com, or you can email me at mary at pathwayscg.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm talking to Deb D'Arcangelo this evening, the CEO of Council for Relationships. Deb, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Chris Blackman of Chris Blackman Media Consulting um, for connecting the two of us. I'm hoping he's listening tonight. Uh, I wanted to talk about, again, your education, which you talked about at the top of the show as being very, very instrumental and important in your career. And you received a bachelor's from Harvard and a master's from Princeton, which mm-hmm. is very impressive. And um, I wanted to know how hard on yourself you were um, during that time and if you still are today to always be striving for excellence. I mean, I think it's because of the opportunities that I was given that it was, you know, that it was important to me to strive for excellence, um, I think, so that I could achieve as much in my career as possible. Um, But it really kind of goes back to me to opportunities. And I just had great opportunities. um, And then I kind of realized, okay, with the, you know, with the opportunity of having Harvard on my resume, it would help me get opportunities to help other people. Um, and then the same, uh, my mid-career master's at, um, in public policy from Princeton at the Woodrow Wilson School would give me opportunities um, in the public policy realm or in the area of community development um, and working with lower income communities of helping other people get opportunities. So I saw those opportunities as stepping stones for me to, to help other people. So. Um, 
I would say right now that I think it's very difficult to get into those schools. I probably would not be able to get into those schools now. And I think that's a great thing for our country in that more people are like my mom and know like, gee, they have scholarships. Maybe you can get in. So more people are applying. um, But that makes it harder for any particular applicant to get in. So um, anyway, I think I, I, um, you know, I just had good timing and um, had the chance to do what I was able to do, and now, you know, I really want to use it to to help other people. So, Deb, what do you think it is about people that don't have the, those kinds of opportunities, that kind of beginning, but end up just as successful? What, you know, in in your years of working um, at CFR, you know, you you speak to individuals and couples and families, and see a lot of different dynamics. What do you think? it is about certain people that allows them to move beyond um, circumstance or lack of opportunity? Well, I think, so I think one thing, I think working hard is really big. Um, But I think the other part of it is luck. So my siblings and I could have worked really, really hard, but we might not have had that luck of our mother thinking about um, these schools and their scholarships. So we would have worked hard, but we, you know, we would have had different paths. And so, so that to me, I think opportunity is the key. And I think that our society has, um, that we have things like institutionalized, um, racism, um, and, you know, affordable housing policies and everything that, that concentrate poverty in cities often. And, and then, you know, just kind of set things up so that people are not going to have those opportunities. So they may work very, very hard, but the, them getting the luck or the likelihood of being able to get out of poverty, um, or to escape, you know, those, um, the, you know, the racism and some, some of the certain things that I think are built into our society makes the odds of that happening for them really low. So that's like my personal philosophy of everything. We're all human beings. We all have the same needs. I think we all have the same ability to succeed. So it's just um, what position, you know, what's the, the luck of where we're born, the luck of the zip code that we live in, in some ways that determine, um, you know, what happens to us. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's the way I look at that. And what do you think about um, something we talk about on the show a lot, that, that inner voice, um, the messaging that, you know, we're receiving from, from ourselves, how much does that play a role? And how do you turn it around? Well, so, so I do need to say I am not a therapist, so I'm not speaking yeah, as a therapist. I work with okay. 75 therapists who are wonderful. So I would just kind of speak for myself. And I do think so. And so I probably have enough information just to be dangerous, right? But um, <laughs> some of the research right. that we've done um, and everything is just that we have these in families, we have these narratives of our family and the narrative that I've been sharing of my family, right? Of This is the story we tell. And it builds resilience and strength in us that carries down through the generations. And I do think that some of the things in our society that are kind of set against some people has resulted in narratives in those families that aren't as positive. And that is completely understandable given the circumstances and kind of the odds against them. 
But right. I think that the inner voice may not be as strong um, or as positive, and it's completely understandable. Um, so, so to overcome that shows so much more strength than some of us who were born with opportunities um, as well. So, so to me, if, if, when we see somebody pull themselves up by their bootstraps that way, that's, that's amazing. But the other thing is that they, they had something that was lucky and fortunate for them because there are other people working just as hard as they are or just as hard as they did, but they just didn't have that luck because the, the odds are against them in a lot of ways. Right. You know, I should mention for our listeners that um, you you haven't always worked in this sector, uh, a nonprofit. You spent some time on Wall Street. And I'm imagining there was a defining moment for you when you made a decision to leave there and uh, take a job at the Lawrence School. What was that moment? So it was the Lawrenceville School, actually. And so I... I was working at J.P. Morgan, um, which I really enjoyed uh, very much. Um, but there was something that made me think that I wanted to work with um, lower or lower income urban communities. And I do have to say that I had met my husband, was married to my husband, and he was working on Wall Street. So he was doing uh, fine uh, to provide for us and our family. And so that gave me the opportunity to say, gee, I would like to um, have an impact um, with a group of people who haven't had um, wonderful opportunities. So we had moved to Mercer County, New Jersey from New York, and um, I was thinking about trying to work in Trenton, but I did not know how to make that transition from uh, private banking, J.P. Morgan at 9 West 57th Street to Trenton. So I had been a volunteer for Exeter for many years, and so I went to work for the Lawrenceville School um, for a year, um, and I drove students to community service one night a week in Trenton, and I said, aha, here are all these opportunities here for me to help people in Trenton. This will not be difficult. And then I went to work for a community development um, corporation in Trenton called IELTS, which is uh, a fabulous organization. Okay. Listen, we're going to go into our next break, so just sit tight. Uh, Stay with us for our finance Watch with Terry and Maggie. We'll be right back. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. Watch Finance Watch. Hi, this is Maggie. And this is Terry. And we're from Fortis Wealth. With the recent market gyrations, it might be a good time to step back and review volatility versus risk. Yes, the two terms seem to be used almost interchangeably when discussing investments, but they can have different meanings for different people. Volatility usually refers to price fluctuations of a security, a portfolio, or a market segment, both on the upside and the declines. So it's possible to have a volatile investment that so far has only gone up. Remember that volatility usually refers to a short time period, a day, a month, a year. If you're not selling anytime soon, volatility isn't a problem and can even be your friend, enabling you to buy more of a security when its price is lower. As Christine Benz at Morningstar writes, 
Risk should be the real worry for investors. Volatility, not so much. A real risk, having to move in with your kids because you don't have enough money to live on your own. Volatility, noise on the evening news, and maybe a frosty cocktail on the night the market makes a dramatic drop. So how can you manage the two? Well, identify your goals and risks one by one, such as retirement or college funding. Prioritize them and decide what you would do if one of them fell short. Talk to your advisor about an appropriate mix of stock, bonds, and cash for each of those goals and risks. If you have shorter or intermediate-term goals, a more conservative asset allocation may make sense. Keep cash for near-term expenses. Having a piece of your portfolio protected from volatility or risk can help you to tolerate fluctuations in your portfolio that have a longer-term purpose. Realize that volatility is inevitable, and if you have a long enough time horizon, you'll be able to use it for your own benefit. Buying shares at regular intervals, like you do in your 401k plan, for example, can help you invest in a variety of market environments. Diversification among different asset classes and investment styles can help you make your portfolio less volatile, too. Read more by visiting our Insights blog at fortis-wealth.com. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. Peace out. Speaking this evening with Deb D'Arcangelo, again, the CEO of Council for Relationships. And um, as you said, Deb, you are not a therapist, um, but you're you're in charge of many. And first of all, I wanted I think it's amazing that this particular organization has been around for 85 years. That's a really long time. And um, again, for the listeners, the organization helps individuals, couples, and families in need of emotional guidance and and therapy. Um, I thought maybe this was not something I had planned, but I thought it might be nice to talk about the the woman who founded the organization and how it it started. Uh, Yes, she was an amazing person. Um, Emily Mudd uh, founded Council for Relationships in 1932 as the Marriage Council of Philadelphia. And Emily Mudd was a great feminist. And um, in 1932, often in a marriage, the husband was the decision maker and the wife did not have much of a voice. And so to level the playing field, Emily Mudd said, let's get them both in a room with a therapist and uh, and make sure that uh, they both have a voice and our ability, you know, an ability to communicate and negotiate um, fairly. Yes. I love that. So she was ahead of her time, way, way ahead of her time. Yes. She was also, um, we have strong sex therapy programs here over the years, and um, sexuality was a big issue for her. Um, So, you know, again, in marriage, and you can imagine in 1932, sexuality issues uh, that, you know, a lot of help was needed and continues to be needed. Um, So she really was a pioneer. Right. Um, let, let's talk about CFR and if you could, um, tell our listeners exactly in, you know, a sentence or two, what it is and what you do that might be different mm-hmm. perhaps from other, um, therapists or practices. Sure. I say that, um, in many ways we're like a teaching, uh, hospital. We are an 85 year old nonprofit, um, that provides individual couple and family therapy, as you said, to about 6,000 people a year with approximately, um, 75 therapists, psychiatrists, um, 50 interns at uh, 10 offices and some community partner sites in the greater Philadelphia area. 
Uh, we provide our clinical training, a master's in couple and family therapy provided with Thomas Jefferson University and um, postgraduate certificate programs um, in couple and family therapy, in sex therapy. We also have clergy programs. Um, we do professional development and we complete uh, research, uh, most notably through something called the Transcending Trauma Project. And our main office is in University City in Philadelphia. Okay. And since, you know, the, the emergence of uh, this COVID-19, I'm wondering if you're seeing an influx of calls from current or new patients needing help. So we, we're not seeing a big influx at the moment, um, although we're, so one thing is that, that clearly uh, we're not doing face-to-face therapy at, at this point, really, with a, just a few exceptions because of the need for social distancing, um, yeah. but all of our therapists are in touch with their, uh, with their clients about possibly doing online therapy um, or even phone sessions. Um, in terms of new uh, clients, we haven't had much of an uptick yet. Uh, we are expecting a significant uptick, um, and I was talking to the head of our clinical staff yesterday, and we were saying that people are probably pretty much in shock right now about what's, what's happening, um, and they're yes. trying to get settled um, into a new normal for what we hope is a relatively short period of time. Um, but with this, so then there are two other things that I think are going to play out between the social distancing and isolation. Um, or on the opposite end of the spectrum, too much time working at home with your partner and or your children, uh, we expect greater demand for our online therapy services. Yeah, you know, it's so, I know even for myself, I have an uneasy feeling that I can't even describe um, because I'm typically very, very much someone who is always in the positive mode. And so you don't even quite know what questions to ask you just feel unsettled. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I agree. Um, but I also, you know, I do this, I try to do this um, pretty often is just think about how fortunate we are um, that I, you know, months ago, I do, every so often I think like how fortunate we are to have like so many resources and so much at our fingertips and, um, and everything and then even with this, like even even with what's happening and we need to stay in our homes and we do our, you know, we have to have our isolation and everything. But compared to so many people in the world, we're still so incredibly fortunate. Um, right. So um, I think that there's that. Uh, we also, uh, Jane Summers, who's our medical director, also um, made, has um, written a, a great blog um, that's on our website that, you know, talking about some different things to think about um, during this time as well, Um, you know, seeking information and keeping normal routines um, and uh, avoiding self-medication and and different issues like that. So I think that there there are a lot of resources to help people, you know, stay positive and, and, you know, figure out what's going to be helpful to them um, with kind of, you know, these these changes we're going through, which we we hope will be um, very temporary. Absolutely. And I have to tell you, I, something that's always helpful for me is humor. Um, and I just find, you know, I'm, I thank God every day for, for the funny people. (laughs) There are so many, right. There's so much. If I know, you know, we often uh, tell people to stay off of social media. Um, but at the same time, there's just so much 
levity and humor from people who do it best um, in, in a time of a crisis. So I'm grateful to them. We're going to go into our last break, Deb. Uh, stay with us for our Health Watch from Dr. Marianne Ritchie. We'll be right back. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Now, the women to watch, Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. On Monday of this week, President Trump held a press conference announcing the coronavirus guidelines called 15 Days to Slow the Spread. With him were Dr. Anthony Fauci from National Institutes of Health and Dr. Deborah Burks, coordinator for the Coronavirus Task Force. For three decades, their work has saved millions from dying of AIDS. We are so fortunate to have these doctors lead the country in infection control. Their message, each of us has a critical role in stopping the spread of the coronavirus, especially young people with their strong immune systems that may have mild or no symptoms and are going about their usual routine spreading the virus. All Americans, including young people, avoid social gatherings of more than 10 people, even in your home. Avoid discretionary travel, no shopping trips or social visits. Restaurants, bars, and gyms are now closed. If you feel sick, stay home. If someone in your home has tested positive, the entire household should stay home. No work, no school, call your doctor. People who are older, on chemotherapy, have transplants, heart, lung, kidney disease, stay home, away from other people. Do not visit a nursing home unless you provide critical assistance and healthcare workers follow the CDC guidelines to protect yourself at work. This virus is an enemy we can't see. We don't have a vaccine and we don't have specific therapies. What we do have, ingenuity and compassion of the American people. If we all take these steps, yes, a little inconvenient, takes discipline, make these sacrifices now and it will make a huge difference. We have to pledge to protect each other and follow these guidelines to stop the spread. The largest generation right now is the millennials. If you have the virus with mild or no symptoms, protect your grandparents and others at risk. This will only work if every American takes this to heart and responds as one nation, one people. Visit coronavirus.gov. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back. I'm talking to Deb D'Arcangelo this evening, the CEO of Council for Relationships. And just before the break, Deb, we were talking about the power of humor. Um, and I do believe that it it just is such a gift um, when I am online and on social media, which I tend to be because of the work that I do. Um, people are doing a really good job of making fun of the situation and, and what we're having to put up with. And I think when you spoke about how fortunate we are to, to live uh, where we are and have the resources, I think that might be a reason that people are more afraid of this right now than ever before, because we almost have felt previously untouchable to something that's across such a broad spectrum. 
Do you feel that yeah. way? Well, yes, it makes me think of a, you know, a term that young people have been using for a few years now, uh, first world problems. Um, yes. You know, where it's kind of like, oh, oh my internet is down. Um, oh, you know, I, I mean, I think in these particular situations, I can't go to the bar and meet my friends and things. And I don't mean to only put that on young people. I think people of all ages. But I think, you know, the whole thing is like there are all these people who live in the world who have a really hard time getting water and food. And we have all those things. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think um, it's really a really important perspective to have. And I think when people have, you know, say first world problems and, and those types of things, it, it helps keep things in perspective. Right. Listen, I want to go back for a minute, and and this is a little lighthearted. And um, when I read about your first job being at McDonald's, I laughed because mine was as well. And Mm -hmm. you actually described that as being the best education you've ever received. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Tell me, tell me what it was about that job that you know uh, gave you life lessons. Well, and, and so that's the whole thing. Like I, I normally don't tell people I have degrees from Harvard and Princeton and that I went to Exeter, but um, I do say that I got my best education working at McDonald's because that's where I learned how to interact with people and deal with people from all walks of life and to understand we're all the same. It, I also learned, like, the golden rule so much, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I always clean up after myself at a restaurant. I always um, treat anybody serving uh me really well and appreciate them and tip them well. Um, And, you know, just, you know, it's just kind of life lessons in general. But I think interacting with people is like the A number one thing that we need to do well um, in our society. So that's, that's why I say I got my best, my best education there. Right. Because listen, at the end of the day, business is people, right? It's all about people and how we communicate. Um, That's right. So you serve on and have served on many, many nonprofit boards, Deb. And I'm wondering if, mm-hmm. if in all the work you've done, if there's one cause that's near and dear to your heart over over the others. Well, so I, I should say my, my current employer, Council for Relationships, is big. And also my last employer, Planned Parenthood, was really important to me. Um, and so maybe I won't be answering your question appropriately, but I guess I, I would say that I do say that um, – I specialize in trying to provide access to everyone for high quality health care. And I've worked in uh, reproductive health and mental health. So I specialize in stigma because there's stigma around both of those. Um, so that's really important to me is kind of the fairness of people having the opportunity to um, have access to the same resources to the extent possible. Um, but also um, my husband and I live in downtown Trenton. Um, and I helped start I Am Trenton Community Foundation to build pride in the city. And um, so that's, that's a particular cause um, near and dear to my heart as well. You know, something I wanted to talk to you about is um, the stigma around therapy, which I think, gosh, years ago, people didn't even want to openly say they were having any issues whatsoever. And today we've come a long way. And I wanted to know your, you know, your take um, because of your position, do you think that we're seeing less and less of a stigma around mental health? Uh, yes, particularly with young people. I think young people understand that um, 
it's really about wellness and that your your physical your mental wellness is the same as your physical wellness and it, as you would go to the doctor or the dentist you can go to your therapist and talk with someone to make sure that your mental health is is strong. Um, I think it's great, you know, in in songs and social media, on advertisements, there are all kinds of references to people's therapists. Um, so they don't have the same stigma that some of us older people have had around mental health issues. Um, and I do think within families that there are families where, you know, they're trying to pass that along as well, that um, you know, our mental health is just as important as every, everything else, every other aspect of our well-being and, and really needs to be addressed. Do we have enough uh, therapists or even young people today going into therapy? So I think we have a lot of people going into therapy. I think what's difficult is that or they're going into the mental health world and social work world. Um, but I think we have a bit of a crisis in our industry in that many are graduating and going to work full time at agencies where they uh, work with people who have very big challenges. And so they graduate um, and then they go into jobs where they get burned out, understandably so, because of um, the challenges of the people that they're working with and often the paperwork and everything that is required at the agencies. Um, so what uh, what we do uh, is we're kind of more like a private practice. So we hire graduates part-time um, and they work at an agency part-time and it's a good balance for them in terms of like both their work and their income because they're able to um, kind of meet their mission of helping people and helping people in great need, but not necessarily get burned out. And then some of the people they would see here as um, graduates of our program and as our staff therapists may not have as many great um, and, and challenging um, issues that they're trying to deal with. So I think it's really important as we um, as young people go into the mental health world is like, how do we make it work so that they they don't get burned out and that they have some kind of balance um, that will be good for them. So I think that's going to be a challenge for us going forward. Right. Listen, we have just one minute left, and, and I, I just want to give you an opportunity. Again, I, you are not a therapist, but you are a leader of an organization um, that gives therapy and, and focuses on, on health and wellness. What would you want to say to our listening audience um, at this time where we're all kind of living a little unsure? Well, I think, um, you know, I think trying to keep our routines, trying to spend some time, you know, exercising and being healthy and distracting ourselves with shows that we like, um, spending time with family, um, you know, talking to people on the phone or, you know, via whatever way, you know, Skype or, or whatever um, you might use to just keep staying in touch. And I guess, you know, our motto here is relationships are everything. So just keep those relationships going. And even if you can't be um, sitting next to each other, um, just just keep talking, keep communicating, um, you know, and share and sharing support. Right. And look at us. Right. We're doing it. We're doing it. <laughs> today and um, thank goodness for technology that allows us to do that. Deb, I'm That's so right. uh, grateful for you joining us this evening and sharing a little bit about your story and giving some great advice to our listeners. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. That's it everyone for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you so much to my watch team and sponsors for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title every week here at Women to Watch Media. 
Have a great week and stay safe and well. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.